absolutely love how the end of that passage um, talks to the glory and amazement of those who are there to witness Jesus' healing of this paralyzed man. So on seeing the, the paralyzed man stand up and take his mat and walk, the crowd around Jesus in our story this morning, they respond with amazement and, and glorifying God. They say, we have never seen anything like this before. And so one of the pictures that I have of the early church is of groups of people gathering together and sharing stories like this one and then, and then telling their own stories as well. The ways that, that Jesus has touched their life personally, the ways that they have experienced even their own surrender and transformation and healing. And so it's hard to even imagine how the church took root and grew with all that it faced in the first couple of centuries of its existence if there wasn't also a very powerful sense that God was, was present to them in all the ways that they heard read to them in the stories and the gospels that are shared with us about Jesus' ministry. And so when they told these stories together, they weren't just remembering the past. They were confirming their own experience of Jesus in the present and then professing their hopeful longing for the future. And so Mark's story of the healing of the paralyzed man in chapter 2 is meant to, to shine light on Jesus and on his ministry. But like so much other things we find in the Bible, it's intended to say something also about the folks who are leaning in, who are listening in, and the kind of people that God is forming them to be. So the story begins with a man with a need. And we don't know anything more about this man besides the fact that he was paralyzed. And we imagine that in the time of Jesus, that meant being entirely dependent on others to get around the, the town of Capernaum, to eat food, to get dressed, to perform the most basic human activities. And so when he hears that the miracle worker is coming to Capernaum, proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom, his hopes are raised. Maybe he will get close to Jesus. Maybe he will be healed. Now the problem is this, is that he can't do it all on his own. He's going to need some help. And there's another problem as well. The miracle worker, the kingdom of God proclaimer, has been attracting a bit of a crowd. And so he's going to have to break through all of those people who are surrounding Jesus to grab Jesus' attention. So fortunately for him, he has a community of friends who are willing to assist. They carry the man to the house where Jesus is staying, and a crowd has gathered around the house, so many in fact that the friends can't get him through the front door. In Jesus' time, Holmes had an outside staircase that would lead to the roof, which also served what we might call today the patio of the house. And so if they could just get him to the roof, and if they could just remove part of the roof, then they could lower him into the room where Jesus was teaching. They could bypass the crowd, and this is exactly what they do. They lower the man through the hole that they've made, and here you have to imagine Jesus looking up as he's teaching these people and seeing this body being lowered on a mat 
down toward him. And so Mark says this, that when Jesus saw the faith of the friends that he had lowering the man, he makes this pronouncement to the man. He says, child, your sins are forgiven. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But inside the crowd of those who are listening to Jesus speak are those who are trained in the scriptures and also the law. Scribes are what they're called in the gospels. And they would have been respected teachers, so knowledgeable of the Hebrew scriptures that they could quote entire sections from memory. They were the ones that you would go to if you wanted to know the story of what God had done and what God had promised and what God would do in the history of God's people and they aren't having it. A man who was paralyzed, whose friends on faith has showed up to Jesus' house for a shot at a new life is in the middle of being healed and they get caught up on a technical theological point of who actually has the authority to forgive sins. So, So forget restoration and healing and a brand new life, how dare Jesus presume authority that only God has? And they say the word, blasphemy. And this is where Jesus wades courageously into a teachable moment. Which is easier to say, Jesus asked, to forgive sin or to say, Pick up your mat and walk. And then he adds, just so you know that the son of, author- son of man has the authority to forgive sins, and that phrase, son of man, is a term that's used by the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament to tell of a human being whom God will send to judge the nations. But it could also mean exactly what it says. The son of man could just be a human being. So who has the authority to forgive sins? Well, human beings have the authority to forgive. It's it's as if Jesus is saying to the scribes, while you bicker and argue to figure out who has the proper authority to forgive sins, I think I'm just gonna go ahead and restore this man to wholeness so that he can get a fresh start on life. At which point Jesus says to the man, pick up your mat and walk. And the man stands up, he picks up his mat, and he went out of the house, made whole again. And what does the crowd say? They say, we have not seen anything like this before. Which is what people say when they have a firsthand experience with the power of God? The thing that intrigued me as I began studying this passage a few weeks back was the connection that Jesus makes between forgiveness and healing. And I don't think that Jesus was just simply using the man as a prop so he could say something provocative to the scribes about who has the authority to forgive people. Somehow, forgiveness in its fullest sense was linked to wholeness in its fullest sense. And that connection resonates deeply inside of me. That forgiving others and receiving and experiencing forgiveness are pathways to wholeness 
and joy. And Jesus invites us to think outside the box about what he means by forgiveness and what he means by healing. And if you're like me, you grew up thinking about forgiveness as something you did when someone hurt you in some way. And so when you were little, if we did something we weren't supposed to do, we'd say, I'm sorry. And then my mom or dad would say, it's okay, I forgive you. Don't ever let it happen again. And maybe we extended that view to God. When we did something we knew wasn't right, we felt like, like God was, was keeping track on a great cosmic chalkboard in the sky. And each time that we would say something that wasn't true or we'd demand our own way or we'd mistreat another person, another, another hash mark would be added beside our name. And maybe we were taught also that the work of Jesus was to erase all the hash marks so that we could start over again with a clean slate and then be forgiven by God. Maybe that was a version of the redemption stories you heard growing up. And so for many, that's what they hear. When Jesus says to the paralyzed man, child, your sins are forgiven, your hash marks are wiped clean, now rise and walk. But what if Jesus is saying something completely different and something infinitely more profound? What if forgiveness is more about our willingness to look past difference or challenge or doubt or even offense and say as one human being to another, one person to another, I choose to see God's best in you. I choose to see God's purposes being worked out in your life. And I stand with you as you seek to live into God's best for your life. You see, this is what Jesus is all about in the early chapters of Mark. He looks past anything that would disqualify someone from experiencing full humanity, and he welcomes them into a place of relationship and a place of wholeness. He does it with a man who's, who's been paralyzed. He does it when he calls, get this, a tax collector to be in his inner circle in the story that follows the one that Justin read this morning. Mark's story, just following this morning's scripture, he does that in chapter 3 of Mark when he walks into a synagogue and then looks past the rules about what you can or you cannot do on the Sabbath and he heals a man who has a withered hand. For Jesus, forgiveness is not about erasing sin hash marks. It's about releasing and laying down anything that stands in the way of his being in a loving and restoring and healing relationship with another person. And that is true forgiveness. So this past spring, an early summer, our, our family was, was rocked um, really by a series of hospital visits. 
So Neely, my daughter, had a thyroid procedure that was done in March, and my mom spent a couple of nights in the hospital with blood sugar issues, and then Susan had a procedure done in June. We were spending a lot of time going back and forth between downtown and our home. And so after Neely had met with the doctor about her thyroid, Susan and I had the conversation about whether or not we should tell anybody about it. We tend to be pretty private with our family stuff, and we didn't want anybody to worry about us. We didn't want to burden anyone with the things that were going on in our family. And we realized as we moved through that season together that we needed people to pray with us and alongside us, and we couldn't do it ourselves. And so we began letting folks from all the different small groups that we're a part of, just asking them to pray with us for healing and peace as we went through the surgery and then cared for Neely afterwards. And I just want to say, first of all, thank you to this church because the outpouring of love from our community was incredible. Phone calls, emails, and text messages, and meals, and flowers, and meals, and more food. Our refrigerator was full. Encouragement, support, solidarity, wisdom shared. The stories that people shared with us of the experiences that they had had before got us through with confidence what Neely was going through. And we could not have made it through without the support of our community of friends. And I... I'm not smart enough to tell you exactly how God's healing works, but I can tell you this, that I experienced healing in an amazing way through the love that was shown for our family. I believe that Christ-formed relationships are the place where we experience God's deepest healing. And those relationships are made possible by our willingness to lay down the things that don't matter and to focus on the things that do. And so for us, forgiveness allows us to lay down our burdens and it releases us to begin to move in our purpose. And so rather than than, than be weighed down and to live under the weight of the past or shame or expectation of others, I choose the freedom to just simply be a person renewed by God and formed by God to call out the best in other people. And think about this. Our forgiveness makes it possible also for others to move in their purpose as well. When we forgive, when we are willing to look past difference and disagreement, to look past challenge and conflict, we open up some loving, creative space where others don't have to worry about whether they are loved or valued. And that's not to say that those issues aren't important, but what's important is we see a person, a human being, who is trying also to figure out why they are on this earth. And our love for them isn't conditional on their response. Our love supports, it encourages, it builds up and heals so that they know they are safe to respond to love with love. And if you think about it, this has been the mission of God's people since God started revealing God's self to the Israelites so long ago. And this for me is the take home of our story from Mark chapter two. Forgiven and forgiving Jesus followers welcome others into community with a very culture 
promotes God doing a brand new thing in people's lives. So all through August, as we move to Homecoming Sunday next way and begin promoting small groups and begin promoting our mission fair, which is on August the 20th, and other opportunities that we have, we want to give people a chance to experience communities like the one that Susan and I had this past spring. So we've opened up a new registration period for dinner for eight groups, which are going to begin in September. Those are going to run through December. And these are groups, if you haven't been a part of one yet, these are groups where you'll get to meet eight people from our church and share a meal and share a conversation. And so we're going to be sending a link this week so that you'll be able to sign up for those groups. And then if you are looking for a way to show some love and encouragement to others, we're going to have our church-wide ministry fair on August the 20th. And already we have 35 different organizations that will be represented and will help you find the very best way to share your spiritual gifts to serve other people. And there's one other thing that we've been working, and it's, and it's something that I, that I really love with Sandy Smith and also with Beth Patillo. We're calling it Gilead House. And so we've had the Center for Spirituality and Healing, which you guys have heard of. Well, we are doing a reboot with that, and Ben Curtis has been involved in some others. And this will be an opportunity to have spiritual direction and to be able to go to retreats where you can focus on developing your spiritual life, but also experience some of the things we've been talking about this morning, how our forgiveness and healing related to each other. And so after Jesus heals the paralyzed man in Mark 2, the crowd cannot believe their eyes. Not only have they witnessed a miracle of physical healing, they have witnessed the miracle of a life restored. And what excites me as we move into fall at our church are the possibilities of seeing lives restored, lives of people who haven't even stepped on the campus of our church yet. And I love this. I love that God sees in us with all of our shortcomings, with all of our inadequacies, with all of our less than perfections, a group of people who are ready to welcome hurting, broken, searching people into life-giving and healing community. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you so much. We thank you for what you see in us. That you use our experiences, God, to speak life and to minister to others. That you give us a grace to see past the things that don't matter so we can speak life where it does matter. And we pray, God, as we move into fall, that you would pour out your grace on us and that we would be a church as Clay preaches almost every Sunday that we would be a church where people experience forgiveness and healing. So do the work in us through your Holy Spirit. Make us ready to share the presence of Christ with others, we pray. Through Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, amen.